This morning, we're going to have a look at an Old Testament heroine. Her name is Ruth. Um, it's, uh, Ruth is a special name for me. Um, ironically, the very name of Ruth is synonymous to me because it's a feature of my testimony that I believe I am meant to share with you now. My parents had a dairy farm. Has that died? Oh, it's okay. It might be hearing. My parents had a dairy farm on the Kundrukiuna Road. It was bordered by the Gunbower Creek. There was a main irrigation channel flowing through one end of it, up the front end where the house was. Great place for swimming. This area also had uh, towering red gums and, uh, and black box trees. It was a great short place for children to grow up in. I was the third son, born in 1947. I had two older brothers, and my youngest brother was born in 1951. My parents were like a lot of farmers in those days. They were struggling. They worked hard. They uh, trying to develop and establish the farm. They started off with very little. They also had some pigs on the side, which a lot of farmers had in those days. And although my dad was, was good to us in many ways, he was a good dad in many ways, but I believe my father suffered from depression. In those days, there wasn't, didn't seem to be a lot known about depression. And the only relief that my father found due to circumstances in his life was to consume alcohol. Of course, this achieved nothing but misery for himself and for the family. A Seventh-day Adventist pastor tried his best to help my dad and my mother came from a congregational church background and she had some knowledge of God. I was four years of age when my mother would tell me stories about God and Jesus and I'd heard some Christian songs that she would sing sometimes. One evening I was standing under the front veranda of the house and I was sort of wanting to know more about God. Suddenly I began to sing, Jesus loves the little children of the world. It was then that I experienced God for the first time in my life. I suddenly realised that God the Father was real, Jesus the Son of God was real, and the Holy Spirit was real too. Lots of Christians prayed for my father and tried to help him. However, as time passed, nothing changed and my, my father was a slave to his addiction. My two older brothers left school to help on the farm. They more or less had to do this. Eventually, our father's addiction was taking its toll on the family, especially our mother. She was forced into having to make a decision for her own sanity. One day after school, when I was 11 years old, and my youngest brother was seven, we were picked up from school by relatives and my mother, and soon we found ourselves on the train heading for Melbourne with our mother. <clears throat> Mum told us both that we were leaving Dad for a while until he did something about his problem. We arrived in Melbourne and we stayed with uh, our aunt and our cousins for some time. Getting away from our father was like a holiday, really. It's not that we didn't love our dad, we did. But we didn't have much respect for him. 
We didn't care for the way he used to treat our mother. Pretty soon our mother made contact with a fine Christian couple who offered to share their home with the three of us and they said they would also be able to find work for our mother. My mother accepted their kind offer and one Sunday we came to their, house, their home in Watt Avenue in Pascoe Vale. It was a huge double-storied house set on about four acres of land, which was good, and we were immediately welcomed by Mr and Mrs Chapman. Soon we were taken inside and given a bedroom we would share with our mother. Later we, would meet the, we met the rest of the household, their 16-year-old daughter and two older sons. Also we met other people living there. These, most of these were homeless street people, some with criminal records. Yet they were all Christians now. Most of them were employed. There were 16 people in the house, plus there was two bungalows out the back. And there were two adopted boys, boys aged eight and six. My brother and I soon went with the two boys to the Pascoe Vale Primary School nearby. So we just walked to and from school each day, which was no big deal. Mrs Chapman prayed for the four of us before we left for school every day. We were very well accepted to school, particularly my brother and I, because we were from the country and we were a bit of an oldie for a while. So we made plenty of schoolmates. At home we ate meals together. There was nothing for 20 or more people to be sitting at the extended tables together. By and large, we were a pretty happy household. Mr and Mrs Chapman did all they could to keep everyone cared for. You see, when they were just married and they moved into their home together for the very first time, they got down on their knees before the Lord. They promised him that whoever came to their home in need, they would accept them into their home and care for them. The Lord worked many mighty miracles in the lives of many people through these two wonderful people. We attended the family fellowship meetings and we also went into an intercity non-denomination. On Sundays, um, one Sunday in particular, my mother committed her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, she was well employed by now doing housework for others. One Sunday evening, we attended a service in the Inner City Fellowship. The pastor, I don't recall his name, but he's a very powerful gospel preacher. And when he had delivered his message, he invited anyone who wanted to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour to come forward. We were all standing. Several people went forward. I began to tremble. I believe it was the Holy Spirit at work. I knew that I should go forward but I didn't. So later on we got into the Volkswagen minibus that belonged to Mrs Chapman's son and he was driving us home. Mrs Chapman was sitting next to me. She put her arm around me and said, Are you okay, Ken? I said, I guess so. She said, Do you want, she said, Do you want to tell me something? Well, I said, what the preacher said was kind of awesome. Um... Jesus is real, isn't he? She said, yes, Ken, he is. I was praying for you tonight, Ken. I thought to myself, well, that doesn't surprise me. 
She said, Ken, do you love Jesus? I said, well, I guess I do. She said, why didn't you go forward, Ken? I said, I wanted to, but my legs wouldn't move. Mrs. Chaplin said loudly to her son, Max, turn the bus around, son, we're going back to the pastor's house and we're going to have supper with the others there. So we went back, so immediately we turned the bus around and that's what we did, we went back to the pastor's house. She took us all inside and she introduced me to the pastor and she said, Ken wants to have a little talk with you. So he took me into his office and we sat down. I told him that I didn't respond to his appeal that night because I was a bit afraid. He gave me a big broad smile. He took me by the hand and very gently led me to the Lord. He then prayed for me. He said, Ken, we will go out and have some supper. We'll go out now and have some supper. But if I ask you before the people out there, Ken, is Jesus your Lord and Saviour? You need to just say yes. Can you do that for Jesus? He will bless you for it. I said, yes, I will do it. I suddenly found it, felt empowered and peaceful. It was a wonderful, wonderful feeling. So we went out. He called for everyone's attention. He asked me, Ken, is Jesus your Lord and Saviour now? I said, yes, he is. Everyone cheered and praised God. Then Mrs Chapman gave me a humongous bear hug. <laughs> I was happy and I was at peace now. So the Lord used Mr and Mrs Chapman to show me how much God loves me. Not long after that, my father arrived on the scene. He seemed to have changed. He had written a letter to my mother first. And he stayed at a hotel for several days in the city and he would visit us each day. He sat in on the fellowship meetings too. My mother forgave him and was, and was prepared to return home to the farm and try again. So we said goodbye to the Chapmans and everyone else there and uh, we came home on the train with our parents. It was good to see our brothers again. Unfortunately, my father never quite beat the addiction he had. He tried several times to, and uh, he went to Alcoholics Anonymous for a while. He failed to make the decision to accept the help they offered to give him. My father finally stopped drinking alcohol towards the end of his life because he was too ill to do so anymore. But he did have a couple of years without alcohol free before he died. We did get to see Mr and Mrs Chapman a few more times before the Lord called them home. Now, Mr, it just so happens Mr Chapman's first name was Gordon, but Miss, and uh, it just so happens that Mrs Chapman's name was Ruth. I later I got baptised when I was 22 at the Kundrug Baptist Church and I worked for a number of years with Dot and Don and Judy Roberts in youth work at the, uh, at the Kundrook Baptist Church. Also, Norm Roberts was there for a while too. And Dot grew up in the same district as I did, and we both taught Sunday school at the Ganawara Baptist Church for a number of years. 
We were always good friends. I did have one failed attempt at romance with a girl, but it didn't work out, it didn't last. I was a bit upset for a while, but so I began to visit Dot. And I got to know her better. I soon found we spoke the same language, if you know what I mean. We had so much in common. One night we were praying in my car, talking to the Lord, and when we finished praying together, I simply asked her to marry me. She said, yes. That was cool. <laughs> getting, to married, getting married to Dot on April 26, 1975 was one of the best things I ever did. Not only that, but she's still my best friend, apart from the Lord. When our first child was born on the 13th of December 1976, well, she was a girl, so we named her Ruth. A few years later, we took our two daughters to meet Ruth and Gordon Chapman. It was a great day. I have made some errors of judgment, I've made some errors of judgment as a Christian. I'm not proud of the mistakes I've made. The Lord is always faithful. He forgives me when I repent and when I forgive others. The hardest thing I find is forgiving myself sometimes, but with his help I can and I do. God is good always. And it doesn't matter how bad a situation is or how things suddenly things can change for the worse. The great thing to know is God's always there and he's still in control. He's still on the throne. Now we're going to have a look at, at the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It is found just after the book of Judges, and I'd like you to look at it if you've got your Bibles. If you haven't, it doesn't matter, but you'll... Um, it's just, a, just, a, <clears throat> just after the book of Judges and just before the book of 1 Samuel. And the time of Ruth was back in the days of the Judges, of course. There are only four chapters in this book. But it's an awesome story. It's a true story of true love of a daughter-in-law for a mother-in-law, which is rather special. But God himself had a hand in it. Now you can just follow if you would. Only four chapters, so I'm not going to preach to you. I'm going to read the Bible with you. That's what we're going to do. We're going to read this story because it's only four chapters. It won't take long. It's an amazing story, and I'm reading from the Living Bible because it just puts it in a good story form. Of course, in the time of Ruth and Boaz, which was uh, that was about about approximately 1,100 years before the Lord Himself was born, so it's a fair stretch of time there. But uh, Boaz and Ruth were in, they, lived, they finished up living in, of course, in uh, Bethlehem, and that's where the Lord himself was born. And, of course, we know that the Lord himself was a descendant of Boaz and Ruth. Long ago, when judges ruled in Israel, a man named Elimelech, from Bethlehem, left the country because of a famine and moved to the land of Moab. With him were his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Marlon 
and Chilion. During the time of their residence there, Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. These young men, Marlon and Chilion, married girls of Moab, Orpah and Ruth. But later, both men died, so Naomi was left alone without her husband or sons. She decided to return to Israel with her daughters-in-law, for she had heard that the Lord had blessed his people by giving them good crops again. But after they began their homeward journey, she changed her mind and said to her two daughters-in-law, Why don't you return to your parents' homes instead of coming with me? And may the Lord reward you for your faithfulness to your husbands and to me, and may he bless you with another happy marriage. Then she kissed him and they all broke down and cried. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, it is better for you to return to your own people. Do I have younger sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to have a husband, and even if that were possible, and I became pregnant tonight and bore sons, would you wait for them to grow up? No, of course not, my daughters. Oh, how I grieve for you that the Lord has punished me in a way that injures you. And again they cried together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and returned to her childhood home. But Ruth insisted on staying with Naomi. See, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Just a little footnote here. Of course, for Naomi, Naomi, finding herself a widow, would be heartbreaking enough with no sons or even worse. To be a widow in ancient Israel, would be, she would be classified as a poor person. Her only skills would be as a homemaker with domestic duties. She would be unable to find work. However, an Israelite widow would receive charity that was offered only to Israelite widows. Any foreign widows living in Israel would be in dire straits. Naomi knew that this would be extremely difficult for her two daughters-in-law. However, God had plans for their long-term future, just as he has long-term plans for all his people. But Ruth replied, Don't make me leave you, for I want to go wherever you go, and to live wherever you live. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. I want to die where you die, and be buried there. May the Lord do terrible things to me, if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth had made up her mind, and could not be persuaded otherwise, she stopped urging her. So they both came to Bethlehem, and the entire village was stirred by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? the women asked. But she told them, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi, Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. For Almighty God has dealt me bitter, bitter blows. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why should you call me Naomi when the Lord has turned his back on me and set such calamity? Their return from Moab and arrival in Bethlehem was at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a friend, had, a, had a, an in-law there in, in Bethlehem who was a very wealthy man. His name was Boaz. 
One day Ruth said to Naomi, Perhaps I can go out into the fields of some kind man to glean, in, glean the free grain behind his reapers. And Naomi said, All right, dear daughter, go ahead. So she did. And as it happened, the field where she found herself belonged to Boaz, this relative of Naomi's, Naomi's husband. Boaz arrived from the city while she was there. After exchanging greetings with the reapers, he said to the foreman, Hey, who's that girl over there? And the foreman said, It's a girl from the land of Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could pick up the grains dropped by the reapers, and she has been it ever since, except for a few minutes rest over there in the shade. Boaz went over and talked to her. Listen, my child, he said to her, stay right here with us to glean. Don't think of going to any other fields. Stay right behind my woman workers. I've warned the young men not to bother you. When you are thirsty, go and help yourself to the water. She thanked him warmly. How can you be so kind to me, she asked. You know I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. I also know about all the love and kindness you have shown your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother in your own land and have come here to live among strangers. May the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, bless you for it. Oh, thank you, sir, she replied. You are so good to me, and I'm not even one of your workers. At lunchtime, Boaz called to her, Come and eat with us. So she sat with his reapers, and he gave her food, more than she could eat. And when she went back to work again, Boaz told his young men to let her glean right among the sheaves without stopping her and to snap off some heads of barley and drop them on purpose for her to glean and not to make any remarks. So they worked there all, so she worked there all day and in the evening when she had beaten out the barley she had gleaned, it came to a whole bushel. She carried it back into the city and gave it to her mother-in-law with what was left of her lunch. So much, Naomi exclaimed, where in the world did you glean today? Praise the Lord for whoever was so kind to you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law all about it and mentioned that the owner of the field was Boaz. Praise the Lord for a man like that. God has continued his kindness to us as well as your dead husband, Naomi cried excitedly. Why, that man is one of our closest relatives. Well, Ruth said, he came, he said to come back and stay close behind his reapers until the entire field is harvested. This is wonderful, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, stay with his girls right through the whole harvest. You'll be safer there than in any other field. So Ruth did, and gleaned with him until the end of the barley harvest, and then the wheat harvest too. <clears throat> One day Naomi said to Ruth, My dear, isn't it time that I try to find a husband for you? and get you happily married again? The man I'm thinking of is Boaz. He has been so kind to us, and is a close relative. I happen to know that he will be winnowing barley tonight out on the threshing floor. Now do as what I tell you. Bathe and put on some perfume and some nice clothes, and go on down to the threshing floor. But don't let him see you until he has finished his supper. Notice where he lies down to sleep. Then go and lift the cover off his feet and lie down there, and he will tell you what to do concerning marriage. 
And Ruth replied, all right, I'll, I'll do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed her mother-in-law's instructions. After Boaz had finished a good meal, he laid down very contentedly beside a heap of grain and went, went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly and lifted the covering off his feet and lay there. Suddenly around midnight, he awakened and sat up startled. There was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he demanded. It is I, sir. Ruth, she replied. Make me your wife according to God's law, for you are my close relative. Thank God for a girl like you, he exclaimed, for you are being an even kinder to Naomi now than than ever before. Naturally, you would prefer a younger man, even though poor, but you have put aside your personal desires. Now, don't worry about a thing, my child. I'll handle all the details, for everyone knows what a wonderful person you are. But there is one problem. It's true that I am a close relative, but there is someone else who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I'll talk to him. And if he will marry you, fine. Let him do his duty. But if he won't, then I swear by Jehovah, then I will, I swear by Jehovah, lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning and was up early, before daybreak. For he had said to her, Don't let it be known that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Bring your shawl, he told her. Then he tied up a bushel and a half of barley in it as a present for a mother-in-law and laid it on her back. Then she returned to the city. Well, what happened, dear? Naomi asked when she arrived home. She told, told Naomi everything and gave her the barley from Boaz and mentioned his remark that she mustn't go home without a present. Then Naomi said to her, to her just be patient until <clears throat> we hear what happens, for Boaz won't rest until he has followed through on this. He'll settle it today. So Boaz went down to the marketplace and found the relative he had mentioned. Say, so come over here, he called to him. I want to talk to you for a minute. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called, called for ten of the chief men of the village and asked them to sit as witnesses. Boaz said to his relative, You know Naomi, who came back to us from Moab? She is selling our brother Elimelech's property. I felt that I should speak to you about it so you can buy it if you wish, with these respected men as witnesses. If you want it, let me know right away, for if you don't take it, I will. You have the first right to purchase it, and I am next. The man replied, all right, I'll buy it. Then Boaz told him, your purchase of the land from Naomi requires your marriage to Ruth, so that she can have children to carry on her husband's name and to inherit the land. Then I can't do it, the man replied, for her son would become an heir to my property too. You buy it. In those days it was a custom in Israel for a man transferring a right of purchase to pull off his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So as the man said to Boaz, you buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the witnesses and the crowd standing around, you have seen that today I have brought all the property of Elimelech, Chilin and Malon from Naomi, and that with it I have purchased Ruth the Moabitess, 
the widow of Marlon to be my wife so that she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband. And all the people standing there and the witnesses replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who has now come into your home as fertile as Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you be a great and successful man in Bethlehem, and may the descendants the Lord will give you from this young woman be as numerous and honourable as those of her ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz married Ruth, and when he slept with her, the Lord gave her a son. And the woman of the city said to Naomi, Bless the Lord who has given you this little grandson. May he be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and take care of you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you so much and who has been kinder to you than seven sons. Naomi took care of the baby and the neighbouring women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and grandfather of King David. And we'll leave it there because we know that the kings of Israel, David, of course, was the second king of Israel after Saul, but the lines of the king of Israel came from a Moabitess woman, Moabitic from Ruth and Naomi, Naomi and um, Boaz, sorry. And uh, from this line also came the line of both Mary and Joseph, and of course the Lord Jesus Christ followed from that line. And uh, God has his plans in everything he does. We don't always understand it, but the end result more than justifies the means. God is faithful. Thank you.